Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God, we ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious, it's fun, it's your Catholic Drive Time. Howdy, howdy, praise be to God, it's good to be here. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca, and welcome to Catholic Drive Time. Good morning to you. Today is Thursday, February 2nd, 2023, and the feast of St. John de Lestonac, or something like that. It's French names, you know? I just cannot say them. But you know what? In France right now, it's actually good afternoon. It's 1 p.m. in France. I have a universal clock up in front of me, and I just noticed that right now. And I just mentioned French, so it's all connecting in my head. So sorry for the tangent. But... St. Jean was born in Bordeaux, France in 1556. She married at the age of 17. She had four kids before her husband died in 1597. And after her children were raised, she entered the Cistercian Monastery at Toulouse. Jean was forced to leave the Cistercians when she became afflicted with poor health. But after returning home, she started a new order and they ministered to victims of the plague. And they were determined to counteract the evils of heresy promulgated by the Calvinists. Thus, they were formed the Congregation of the Religious of Notre-Dame-de-Bordeaux. She died in 1640, and many miracles occurred at her tomb. She was canonized in 1949 by Pius XII. St. Joan, pray for us. But you know what else it is? Today is also the Feast of Our Lady of Good Success. It is also the Feast of the Purification of Our Lady. It is also the Feast of our the presentation of our Lord, also known as Candlemas. So there is a ton going on. So Merry Christmas to you, because today is the absolute last day of the Christmas season. So that means you are required to take down all your Christmas decorations after today. I know everybody kept them up. It wasn't because you were lazy. It wasn't because you just forgot to take them down. It was because you were waiting for Candlemas. So congratulations you made it all the way to Candlemas without taking down your stuff. So now you can take it down after tonight. So no more excuses. Christmas decorations gone. Uh, good morning to you, Mr. Rudy Carlos. Good morning. Uh, I hate to say it, but I took my decorations down almost, uh, I don't know, like a month ago. Uh, I started looking at it and I thought, mm, yeah, I think it's about time. But <laughs> if I was a homeowner, I would probably leave my Christmas lights up because I've seen the amount of trouble that people go through to put those on. So I don't know. It takes I so give much work. Pass. We don't even uh, – whenever my family moved down to uh, – down further south, we we haven't put up Christmas lights ever since because it's just – it's such a hassle. It's so much work. Yeah. And I used to climb up on the roof and do it and had to clean out the gutters and everything. We don't even have gutters in this house. It's such a pain, to be honest. But on today's show, at 15 past the hour, we're going to talk about Father Thomas Reese, SJ. He has a new article out on National Catholic Reporter, otherwise known as National Catholic Distorter, uh, to talk about his new article. And let me give you a hint about what to expect. Uh, Pope Benedict had this priest kicked off of America Magazine years ago. So just as a heads up and what you're going to get. At 30 past the hour, we're going to have Ryan Grant with Mediatrics Press on to discuss how an 18th century nun is the cure to the Enlightenment errors. That's interesting. And in the next hour, we're going to discuss all things Candlemas. What is it about? What is it? What are some traditions for Candlemas? We'll discuss in the next hour. Uh, plus, we'll have the game show Fear and Trembling. But, uh, Rudy, uh, what are you doing for Candlemas? 
Cannabis, uh, well, uh, it's going to be kind of hard to get out to mass tonight, but uh, I think uh, I could be wrong. I think we have some candles that are going to be blessed uh, that we'll pick up later. But, uh, you know, speaking of Candlemas and, and anticipation and maybe even bringing some light here, uh, shining the light, so to say, we do have a very special uh, announcement to make. Uh, maybe we can make it in the after show, but stick around until then. If you want to join us in the after show, you're listening to us uh, on your commute or something like that, and you want to listen, continue listening while you're at work, make sure to go to GRN online forward slash CDT and look at all of our social media links. You could join us on YouTube, Odyssey. You could join us on Rumble, Facebook. Uh, with many different options for you to join and interact with us live in the after show. And make sure to tune in so that you can hear that uh, very special announcement shining the light here for CDT. So true. So true, Rudy. There's going to be a, uh, one might say, a new uh, person in the seat. It's uh, no more. The set of Aconte is over. Uh, Interregnum is now Interregnum officially is over. over. Interregnum mm-hmm. is done. The The white smoke is billowing outside of the... Well, we don't we don't have a Very chimney here, so yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, chimneys are not really a big thing in Houston, actually, in general. <laughs> but uh, without further ado, let's jump into the hour before we uh, waste any more time. Well, let's say our uh, prayer. We're going to pray for your intentions. Let's pray that we have a blessed Candlemas. That I hope that you all make it to Mass today. You all be able to get your candles blessed and prepare for the three days of darkness. Maybe we'll talk about that in the after show, too. And so let's begin. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word Incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now you're breaking news with Rudy Carlos. Good morning. Thanks for tuning in to Catholic Drive Time. Today is Thursday, February the 2nd. I'm Rudy Carlos with your latest breaking news and stories. If you have time today, say a prayer for Cardinal Zen. This article is from Catholic News Agency. The headline says Cardinal Zen has been hospitalized in Hong Kong after returning from Benedict XVI's funeral. The former Bishop of Hong Kong revealed that he had already been experiencing some health difficulties before he received permission from a Hong Kong court to travel to Rome for the January 5th funeral of Pope Benedict XVI. He says, quote, When I went to Rome, I felt that I represented the whole of Hong Kong and the whole of China, expressing our respect and love to Pope Benedict XVI, he said. So pray for him. He's in the hospital. Daily Caller reports, Satanic Temple opens abortion clinic named after conservative Supreme Court Justice's mother. The clinic serves as a religious purpose because, according to the announcement, they believe that abortions serve a religious purpose in protecting bodily autonomy. An abortion ritual is described as a protective right, according to them, that can cast off unwanted feelings a patient has about choosing an abortion, according to their website. But you gotta love religious liberty, right? Breitbart reports Iran inflicting invisible jihad on Lebanon's Christians. Malik, senior fellow on Lebanon and Middle Eastern Christians at the Philos Project, said Iran and its proxies are intentionally creating the conditions of poverty, collapse, instability, fear, and despair that are forcing Lebanon's Christians to emigrate. Lebanon today is facing a new and unprecedented unprecedented threat unlike previous scourges. It's a difference between what I would term the dumb evil of the Islamic State, ISIS or Daesh, 
and the cunning evil of Hezbollah and Iranian mullah overlords, he declared. And the Postmillennial reports EVs more expensive to fuel than gas-powered cars, according to a report. A report compiled by the Anderson Economic Group revealed that in the fourth quarter of 2022, the cost of fueling a mid-priced traditional gas-powered vehicle per 100 miles fell below that of similar electric vehicles. They admitted that while the gap between the luxury uh, combustion engine uh, cars and electronic vehicles narrowed, drivers of high-end electric vehicles still enjoyed a significant fueling cost advantage. The analysis showed that it was $7.56 cheaper, assuming mostly at-home charging, per 100 miles to drive a luxury EV, compared to $11.20 to the previous quarter. Using a commercial charger, though, the difference was just $4.01. Those are headline news this morning. God love you. The gospel of the day is from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 40. And when the time had come for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him before the Lord there. It is written in God's law that whatever male offspring opens the womb is to be reckoned sacred to the Lord. And so they must offer and sacrifice for him, as God's law commanded, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. At this time there was a man named Simeon living in Jerusalem, an upright man of careful observance who waited patiently for comfort to be brought to Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And by the Holy Spirit it had been revealed to him that he was not to meet death until he had seen that Christ, whom the Lord had anointed. He now came, led by the Spirit into the temple, and when the child Jesus was brought in by his parents to perform the custom which the law enjoined concerning him. Simeon too was able to take him in his arms, and he said, Blessing God, ruler of all, now dost thou let thy servant go in peace according to thy word. For my own eyes have seen that saving power of thine, which thou hast prepared in the sight of all nations. This is a light which shall be given revelation to the Gentiles. This is the glory of thy people Israel. The father and mother of the child were still wondering over all that was said of him. When Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, Behold, this child is destined to bring in about the fall of many and the rise of many in Israel, to be a sign which men will refuse to acknowledge. And so the thoughts of many hearts shall be made manifest, as for thy own so it shall have a sore to pierce it. There was besides a prophetess named Anna, daughter to one Phanuel of the tribe of Azar, a woman greatly advanced in age, since she had lived with a husband for seven years after her maidenhood, and had now been eighty-four years a widow, who abode continually in the temple night and day, serving God with fasting and prayer. She too at that very hour came near to give God thanks and spoke of the child to all that patiently waited for the deliverance of Israel. And now when all had been done that the law of the Lord required, they returned to Galilee and to their own town of Nazareth. And so the child grew and came to his strength full of wisdom and the grace of God rested upon him. The Gospel of the Lord. With reference to the question whether the Blessed Virgin suffered this impurity, the Blessed Virgin incurred no defilement and therefore was not bound by the law of purification. Yet in her zeal for humility in order to make herself like other women who bear children, that she might not give scandal and seemingly to be singular, that she might conceal her virginity and her concession by the Holy Ghost, 
the Blessed Virgin was willing to be purified even as Christ, for similar reasons, was willing to be circumcised. Here, St. Bernard says, in the con- this conception and in this childbirth, there was nothing impure, nothing sinful, nothing that had to be purged, for this offspring is the font of purity and has come to make a cleansing of sins. What is there in me for a legal observance to purify? In me, who by this immaculate parturation and become most pure? Truly, O Blessed Virgin, thou hast no need for purification, but had thy son need of circumcision? Be thou among women as one of them, for so too is thy son among men. Cornelius Lapide, commenting on this, makes this point that Our Lady did not give birth by blood. Our Lady passed through her womb like light through glass, as St. Thomas says. And so she had no need for the purification, yet she still did it. Tropologically, the purification of the soul is penance. And this the Blessed Virgin underwent not for her own sins, seeing that she had none, but for those of others, as Christ did. Still, she did not undergo the sacrament of penance because she had no sins of her own to confess. It's interesting to think Our Lady never went to confession because she was perfect. No need. The Blessed Virgin, holding Christ in her hands on bended knee, offered him to God with the greatest reverence and devotion, saying, Behold, O Eternal Father, this is thy Son whom thou hast wished to take flesh from me for the salvation of men, to thee I render him, and to thee I offer him entirely, that thou mayest do with him and with him as it shall please thee, and by him mayest redeem the world. This is kind of the attitude that we should have with our children, with our family members. Give them up to God. Say, your will, not my will. Some may ask, why did Our Lady only give two turtle doves and not a greater sacrifice? Although the three kings had offered to Christ a great quantity of gold, still the Blessed Virgin, zealously affected towards poverty, accepted but little of it, that she might show her contempt of earthly, earthly things. And what she did take, she spent in a short time and distributed it among the poor. And lastly, because she was by her condition poor, she would be reckoned among the poor and offer the gift of the poor. That's why they gave two pigeons instead of a greater uh, gift. And lastly, finally, at the very end, I want to talk about Simeon. We got about 40 seconds. In the Office of Compline, we echo the words, first to admonish the faithful to think of our own death. Now I can go in peace, for my eyes have seen my salvation, the glory of the people Israel, the light for the Gentiles. We should be thinking about this. Maybe think about starting praying this the night before bed and meditate on the glory that our Lord has come. We're going to go to a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about these articles very bad about the Eucharist. We're going to correct it. We'll be right back. Hey, Sita, how do you ask, do you love Catholic radio in German? Liebst du das katholische Radio? How about support it by purchasing car raffle tickets for a 2023 Mercedes-Benz CLA 250? Unterstütze es mit dem Kauf eines Tickets, mit dem du ein 2023 Mercedes-Benz CLA 250 gewinnen kannst. Hmm, okay. How about get yours at grnonline.com forward slash raffle? Kauf eins auf grnonline.com forward slash raffle. Thank you. I needed that for a PSA. Cool. When are you recording it? Right now. Oh, danke. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Your church most likely has a praise and worship time. Would you be surprised to know that the songs you sing might have nothing to do with worship? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, history. Praise and worship was not a term used until the mid-60s when the Jesus people music started becoming more complex and contemporary. By the late 70s, praise and worship had become an entire entity of its own. Secondly, what is worship? It's a sacrifice. It's not singing a soft, flowy song with hands raised. The New Testament writers understood that worship was a sacrifice, that it occurred on an altar, which was and is known as a place of slaughter. Thirdly, the altar is for you. Jesus, in the holy sacrifices of the Mass, invites you to participate in His timeless sacrifice of love that truly occurs on the altar. No nightclub effects, no entertainment, no pumped-up emotion. Oh, and please don't register for the next Praise and Worship Global Seminar. Why? Because you can't teach praise and it won't include worship. Yikes! Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. And before I forget, we are actually giving away a vehicle. If you want a free car, go to grnonline.com. We're giving away a 2023 Mercedes-Benz CLA 250 in polar white. Frosty. One ticket is $25 or five for $100. Go to grnonline.com. You can buy it online, or you can contact your local general manager, get to know him, go hang out at their studio, and uh, go buy tickets directly from him, and maybe pick up a few to sell to support the Guadalupe Radio Network. Uh, But there is an article that I saw yesterday that was really, really concerning me. And, you know, what the devil intends for evil... God uses for the glory of himself. And I think this is what's going to become of this. We talk often about this need for a Eucharistic revival. And we've talked about it many times on this show. The bishops are talking about it in the U.S. And they, we've seen the, the Pew Research studies showing that the Catholic belief in the Eucharist is down. And I think a lot of people have been trying to promote real belief in the Eucharist. People have been afraid to dive into the theology and philosophy around it because they think it'll be too heady and people won't get it. But I think this article by Father Thomas Reese, S.J., will uh, make it clear that this is something that we need to do. And maybe maybe next week, someday, we're going to dedicate a whole show to talking about the doctrine of the Eucharist and breaking it down in its entirety, go all full in-depth. But I'm going to wait until he releases. His, this is a trilogy of a document that he is releasing here. This is just the first one. But let's first, I want to bring up to you uh, who this man is, Father Thomas Reese. Father Thomas Reese was actually, was kicked out of America Magazine by Cardinal Ratzinger. According to Thomas Reese himself, he said in an article that just came out right before Pope Benedict died, I forgive Pope Benedict, I hope others can too. And in that article, he says, The final nail in the coffin was a series of articles on gay marriage, starting with one strongly opposed to it by a philosophy professor from the Catholic University of America. In response to this article, we received an unsolicited article supporting gay marriage by a theology professor from Boston College. I knew this would be controversial, so I allowed the first author to respond to the response and thus have the last word. That was not good enough. Soon after, the word came from Ratzinger that Reese had to go. For various reasons, the message was not communicated to me until after he was elected pope. 
So that tells you everything you need to know about who Father Thomas Reese is beforehand. And yet, National Catholic Reporter decides to publish an article by him. So let's get into the article. He says, The Eucharist should be the center of Catholic life, but falling church attendance on Sundays shows that the center is crumbling. This, along with declining belief in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist, has caused great concern among Catholic bishops who have launched a Eucharistic revival effort. During that first half of the 20th century, church attendance by Catholics was very high, higher than that of Protestants. Catholics then believed that it was a mortal sin to miss Mass on Sunday. Unless you went to confession, you could die and go to hell. This filled Catholic churches, despite boring homilies, in a Mass in Latin that the people did not understand. Oh, it's, it's very interesting. He decides to come after the traditional Latin Mass. No one else brought this up. He brings this up. He says, you know, it's crazy. In the 20th century, before the Second Vatican Council, before the new Mass, Mass attendance was amazing. We had more people going to church than Protestants did. And then afterwards, and, we, he, was, and he says, it's interesting because he also says, it's despite the fact that the Mass was in Latin, not because of it. It's despite the fact that they had really boring homilies. Father wasn't cracking jokes at the altar. He wasn't making references to the local sports game. He was preaching about hell. And for some reason, Catholics were still coming to Mass. It's so weird. And it's very interesting that he doesn't get what he's saying. He's saying all these things. It's so weird how everything was completely different back then, yet the pews were filled. He also, which is here, it sounds like he is uh, saying an explicit heresy. He's saying Catholics then believed that it was a mortal sin to miss Mass on Sunday, and unless you went to confession, you could die and go to hell. He's saying that as if he do- Catholics don't believe it now? Catholics then believed as if Catholics don't believe that now? Because that's still true. Catholics still believe this. And if you don't believe it, you need to change your mind. Because this is the truth of the gospel, that if you die in mortal sin, you go to hell. If you do not attend Mass deliberately, if you choose not to attend Mass, obviously if there is a moral or physical impossibility for you to get to Mass, then you are not bound to go. But if you deliberately miss Mass, that is a mortal sin. And if you don't go to confession, you go to hell. That's as simple as it. That it was what the church teaches. We'll continue. During the same period, American Catholics were taught in the Baltimore Catechism, ooh, 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 the Baltimore Catechism, very scary, that the bread and wine were turned into the body and blood of Christ, a teaching that was explained using terms like transubstantiation. For true believers, this was an opportunity to adore Christ and be sanctified in communion. For nominal Catholics, it was a meaningless ritual to be endured. Okay, here's the other thing. One, why does he disparage the Baltimore Catechism? He says it as if it's a bad thing. Oh, we were taught in the Baltimore Catechism. The Baltimore Catechism is a great catechetical tool. In fact, I highly recommend for your children to buy a Baltimore Catechism and read it to your kids. It's very simple. It's like 100 pages, question and answer, Q&A. Excellent. And if you want to learn your faith better and you like, I need a, just a basis. I need to be reminded of my faith. I need something to just give me the bare bones. And then if I want to go in depth, I can read other things. The Baltimore Catechism is a great place to start. I cannot recommend highly enough. He says that he, they use terms like transubstantiation. And we're going to talk about that in a second. And for true believers, an opportunity to adore and be sanctified in communion. Well, yeah, that's, that's a good thing. And for nominal Catholics, it was a meaningless ritual to be endured. Do we know that? Do we know that that's what the case was back then? That there is that these people had believe those things. And he goes on today. Church attendance is down. 
and few priests threaten those who sleep in on Sunday with hellfire. Polls show that belief in the real presence is also down as well. The language of transubstantiation, dependent on Aristotelian metaphysics, is meaningless to Americans who do not learn Greek philosophy in school. So therefore, because he goes on further, I'll, I'll get to that eventually, he says uh, we basically need to get rid of transubstantiation as language. So maybe instead of getting rid of the language, we educate people. It's an, op- op- it's an option. He goes on, Catholic liberals had hoped that the liturgical reforms after the Second Vatican Council would produce beautiful and meaningful liturgies that would keep the faithful coming to church. Notice, he's talking about Catholic liberals in a positive sense, not a negative sense. He says it's a good thing. He goes on, Catholics overwhelmingly approved putting the liturgy into English, but liturgical renewal, do we know that, that the Catholics overwhelmingly, because the, the fact that after the change of the Mass, Mass attendance plummeted, might mean that most Catholics did not approve it if Catholics started abandoning church. Just a thought. But liturgical renewal petered out under the papacy of John Paul II, English translations became stilted, creativity was discouraged, and experimentation was forbidden. Seminary training stressed observing the rubrics rather than understanding liturgical reform. So he's saying, oh, it was horrible because then JP2 came in and he was like, well, we, we can't be uh, doing all this uh, crazy things in liturgy. We have to stick to the rubrics. How terrible is that? The, the new mass was not, uh, was not n- new enough for him. It needs to be constantly updated. Liturgical music did experience an explosion of creativity, much of it good, but some of it awful. I want to know what, what was the good music that was uh, created? What was the new good creativity? The liturgical music that was created afterwards? I want to know. Give me an example of that. I'm very curious. Uh, unlike evangelical Christian megachurches, Catholic parishes tried music on the cheap with volunteers and unpaid professionals. The multicultural nature of American Catholicism made it difficult to find music that was acceptable to the variety of ages and ethnic groups that make a parish community. How about Gregorian chant? That's pretty much universal, right? Granted this history, what would an effective Eucharistic revival look like? First, the revival must begin with the hierarchy and the clergy who must listen to the concerns of the lady and not just those who want the old Latin mass back. You do realize that the Latin mass community is like 2%, 1% to 2%, depending on your statistics, of all Catholics in the world, right? Like the vast majority of Catholics in the world don't even know the Latin mass exists. And if they're the, the clergy and the bishops and the hierarchy are clearly not listening to the concerns of the people who want the old Latin mass back, because if they did, we wouldn't have gotten traditionis custodis. And we would have Latin masses being shut down all across America. So in what, in what world is he thinking that the clergy and hierarchy are listening to the, to the people who want the old Latin mass back? It's very interesting. Second, the bishops need to consult with experts. And yeah, that went well for us the first time. Who understood liturgical and theological thinking that was developed since the Second Vatican Council. Basically, he's saying trust the science. Any attempt to return to the piety of the 1950s is bound to fail. In fact, some of the old piety that focused solely on the real presence was based on bad theology. He says the old piety of focusing on the real presence is bad theology. This is, this is very concerning. I'm going to skip ahead because we're running out of time, and this really deserves to be talked about for an entire show, and I think we probably will do so next week. But here is the, here is the money line. He says, I just don't believe in transubstantiation. 
because I don't believe in prime matter, substantial forms, and accidents that are part of Aristotelian metaphysics. What worked in the 13th century will not work today. So first, forget transubstantiation. Better to admit that Christ's presence in the Eucharist is an unexplainable mystery that our little minds cannot comprehend. This is Father Thomas Reese speaking heresy. This is very bad. In the last two minutes that I have here, I want to read to you some church documents explaining transubstantiation is a dogma, is a doctrine that we must believe in. The articulation of the word transubstantiation, we have to believe that as Catholics. Pius XII in his encyclical Mediator Dei said, Clearly, no sincere Catholic can refuse to accept the formulation of Christian doctrine, more recently elaborated and proclaimed as dogmas by the church under the inspiration and guidance of the Holy Spirit with abundant fruit for souls because it pleases him to hark back to the old formulas. Notice he says here, clearly, we have to use the language of the church that's required of us. At the, an example of this is the Synod of Pistoia, where they condemn people for disregarding the scholastic question about the manner in which Christ is present in the Eucharist. Basically, they're saying people are trying to use other words, but we are telling you transubstantiation is the best word for it, which is why there was a huge uproar in the new mass whenever they changed the, uh, the creed to say consubstantial, because they're saying consubstantial is a more perfect word. It better articulates what we mean. And this is very important, so it's changed. Some people are like, no, it's too complicated of a word. We don't want to learn what that word means. There's so much more that needs to be said. They created the Council of Trent, Pius V, or fourth rather, that he has said that we, uh, we must believe this. We must proclaim this to be a Catholic. We must say the way that the bread and water, the bread and wine, uh, the, the whole substance of the bread into the body and the whole substance of the wine into the blood, which conversion the Catholic Church calls transubstantiation this is very important and we're going to discuss this again we'll probably do a whole show next week dedicated to this topic because this is huge this is a big deal and i really hope that his bishop comes out and corrects him and he gives a formal correction and if he does not repent that he be excommunicated this is a great crime coming up next we have ryan grant talking about some good news we'll be right back does Jesus condemn praying the rosary in Matthew 6, 7 when he says, as the King James renders it, use not vain repetitions as the heathens do? Protestants think so. What's the Catholic response? First, Jesus is not condemning repetitious prayer per se. If he were, well then he would be condemning himself, since according to Mark 14, 39, he prayed multiple times, Father, remove this cup, not what I will, but what you will. But that's absurd. So what was Jesus condemning? He was condemning Gentile prayers, which were mindless repetitious prayers, as the Greek text suggests. The Gentiles recited prayers only to appease their gods. They were, as the RSV translates it, empty phrases, having nothing to do with expressing one's love for the gods. That's what Jesus is condemning, not the repetitious prayer of the rosary. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. I bet you're wondering to yourself, how can I win a 2023 Mercedes-Benz CLA 250C? Easy. Just go to grnonline.com or call 888-784-3476. Only $25 a ticket or five tickets for $100. The line is February 24th, 2023. So, do you feel lucky?
Well, do ya? Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Now here's a couple more headlines for you. LifeSite News reports Alzheimer's Association cuts ties with assisted suicide group after media covers partnership. In an effort to provide information and resources about Alzheimer's disease, the Alzheimer's Association entered into an agreement to provide education and awareness information to Compassion and Choices, but failed to do appropriate due diligence, the group announced. Their values are inconsistent with those of the association. The palliative care approach differs from Compassion and Choices, which uh, supports killing off people who suffer from diseases. And here, when I say Compassion and Choices, that was the organization that actually promotes euthanasia. Kim Kalinin, the leader of the suicide group, called dementia a fate worse than death. Her group used to be called the Hemlock Society, but rebranded with the help of donations from George Soros's Open Society Foundation, according to Free Beacon. And Ground News reports, Philippines grants U.S. greater access to bases amid China concerns. The Philippines has agreed, or rather has granted, the United States expanded access to military bases, the country said on Thursday, amid mounting concern over China's increasing assertiveness in the disputed South China Sea and tensions over self-ruled Taiwan. Those were your headline news this morning. God love you. Thank you, Rudy, for keeping us up to date and informed and inspired. Uh, if you haven't got your raffle tickets yet for we're giving away a Mercedes-Benz CLA 250, make sure to go to grnonline.com to pick up your tickets. It's one ticket, $25, five for $100, so make sure you take care of that. But joining us right now is Ryan Grant with Mediatrics Press. Good morning to you, Ryan. We're going to discuss a new book that you just put out, so let's jump into that. Um, so to start off, you know, I, I thought it was interesting at the introduction of the book, it said St. Alphonsus was raised up by God to combat one of the two great evils of the 18th century, Jansenism. But in the venerable Mary Celeste, we have the living refutation of the second evil, the errors and blasphemies of the philosophers for they deny mm -hmm. providence, grace, and the whole supernatural world. I was thinking you know, I wouldn't have expected a cloistered nun to be the one they would categorize as combating the Enlightenment errors, and then the guy who was going out and doing missions everywhere as fighting against the Jansenists. It seems like it would be flipped. And so what do you think about uh, that? That is interesting because what they're doing is they're recognizing the, the, the realities of the spiritual work. That is that uh, it, it's the cloistered nuns that are upholding the, in the world. It's the monks in prayer in the desert that are upholding the world by their prayers. And so, so much, uh, much of the time, the spiritual mission, those who really commune with Christ and really get close to him, those are the ones who are the real movers and shakers in the world. And we've noticed the world's gotten really bad of late. And of course, that's because the, wherever the state hasn't thrown out the cloistered convents, the, unfortunately, the authorities of the church are trying to do the same. So, you know, but back in the 18th century, it was somewhat of a similar thing. You had governments trying to crack down on convents, on monasteries. Who would have thunk? Um, Catholic monarchs, you have this doctrine called Febronism. And Febronism is the idea that the state is the guarantor of the rights of the church. 
And so the, the state, therefore, should own all church property. And all seven, this is pre-French Revolution, but a lot of these ideas get worked into the French Revolutionary Code and everything It become part of the, uh, the civil law in Europe following, uh, you know, Napoleon. So they are, um, you know, so the idea is that we got a convents, you know, that in monasteries that, you know, provide services to the community. Hey, we want those. But the ones that are just praying and begging, we don't want them around. So you have this guy named Joseph II in uh, Austria. One of the things he does is he kicks out the Cartusians. He kicks out the Discalced Carmelites out of Austria. He kicks out a um, whole, whole mass of uh, groups that are not seen as he was even thinking about the Capuchins, except they had such a place with his family and <laughs> so many different things. He wasn't going to touch that one. But uh, he actually sponsors the formation of a council in Italy in order to spread a lot of these ideas. It was called the Council of Pistoia. And um, I, I like to call it the, the Vatican II run through <laughs> because mm. it was in many ways a pre-Vatican II. It had a lot of ideas. Um, which later would be popular 200 years, which at that oh, wow. time uh, were, were quite revolutionary. Actually, they're still revolutionary, and they're still not good ideas. But <laughs> beside that, they've come into vogue anyway since Vatican II, um, and had thus the association. But with Pistoia, it was a, it was a local council that had big backing. And uh, Scipione di Ricci, for example, is the Archbishop of Capua, unless I'm mistaken, or is he a different city? But he was a big promoter of this thing. One of the things they pushed, of course, and this is one of the, the ostensible reasons for kind of linking it with Vatican II, is vernacular. They pushed the, one of their oh, big wow. things is they wanted vernacular. They wanted the mass in vernacular, and they wanted the, uh, the liturgy, the breviary in vernacular. And so the, Pope Pius VI is not sure what to do about this because of the power of the Austrian Emperor Joseph II. He's like, he's just sitting back in Rome with his finger in the wind, just waiting to see how this is all going to go. So then the people rise up and do it for him. But then when the people hear about all this, they're, they're incensed. And they go to the, the warehouses where all these vernacular missiles and breveries have been placed, and they burn it down. Oh, wow. And this is the kernel of the support that eventually is going to fight Napoleon when the French Revolution comes to Italy in the next generation. So, uh, but that anyway, so that really does more than anything to stop all the movements of the Council of Pistoia and Fibronism in Italy. Pius VI gets some spine in issues, uh, Octorum Fide, which condemns most of what they promulgated there at the Council, and, and a lot, lot of revolutionary ideas that eventually be worked into the French revolutionary framework. It was like a, a pre-run for all these things. So all of this was seen, though, as being part of the Enlightenment, being part of an enlightened man in the, the modern age and so we, we we don't have these crazy superstitions like they used to have, like praying to saints and purgatory and so many different things that they that they, all these these silly peasants do. We're enlightened gentlemen. We we know better. And on the flip side, you have people who are so enlightened that uh, their, their brains have literally fallen out, and they're called <laughs> libertines. They're people that there is there there almost amoral that they don't recognize there is any morality that there is any good or evil so they uh they just do what they want <laughs> and uh we know where do what thou want do what thou wilt gets you right if you think of alistair crowley and whatnot so that uh, so you have the the horrors the moral horrors of libertinism and uh, which becomes a big scourge in in europe you have uh you know all the intellectual errors are kind of on, on every front 
And so this, this is kind of the situation in the 18th century, which, of course, again, leads into the French Revolution. And the French Revolution sees itself, uh, just as Marxism will in the 20th century, as being a scientifically accurate to the letter. Every last thing we do is science. It's science, everyone. Trust the science. Trust We've yeah. harder <laughs> than anyone's ever scienced. We're making a new <laughs> calendar, baby, and it's science. You know, you can't, only crazy, um, you know, nuns will or, or uh, peasants or backwards minded priests would ever oppose anything like this. Oh, right. no, that's a great point. And, you know, one of the things that I thought was interesting about it was this idea of I mean, the 18th century enlightenment, especially Kant and Hume. And we see the, those mm-hmm. same errors today all the time when I talk to atheists or or people who are more agnostic, they'll say the, these these ideas that come from Kant and Hume, like, oh, well, of course Jesus didn't rise from the dead because people don't rise from the dead. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's why it's significant. Because if people just naturally rose from the dead, it wouldn't be a big deal, right? Um, so they, they completely dismiss any sense of the miraculous um, that could possibly happen, and you, you were talking about this a second ago, and mm-hmm. the Enlightenment errors, it was 18th century. That was a long time ago, at least in terms of our own minds, well, we're, and yet we're still yeah, seeing it right now. Years. You know, the period that we're hearkening back to is about 370 to 350 years ago. And, you know, some of it sounds exactly the same. You know, the, the more things change, the more they're the same. Uh, Hume, for example, philosophically, is basically, um, you know, you, you can't trust you know, what, what's mediated to you by your senses. You can't, you know, it's almost to the point of being like a full out skeptic. He's not quite, he never gets that far. But, uh, you know, and this heavily influences Kant. And Kant before that had more or less been some kind of, uh, you know, late German Aristotelian in his thinking. And then, but it, but Hume kind of hits the end lock, but especially Hume, it hits him like a bomb. And, and he stops and he thinks about this. And, that you know, of course, as one professor I had said, um, the, the, and Kant did the dumbest thing he could have. He trusted him, <laughs> <laughs> but so, but then you know, so he picks up on this, and then he works this whole philosophy. Yeah, if you can't, if the senses do not correctly mediate to us what we see in the world, then um, which is actually true on a spiritual side, but not in a metaphys- in, in a in a physical sense, it's not true. But in a spiritual sense, it is, and they've got it all warped backwards, you know. So um you, you have a you're looking around but you're not seeing things actually the way they are it's your brain projecting on to the thing that actually exists and then Fichte rings from Kant while he's on his Fichte was one of Kant's best students and he gets from Kant an admission on his deathbed that, that the noumena the thing that actually is it's not really there because hey you say you can't know this thing you can't see this thing you can't actually touch this thing let's stop with the bs and just say it's not there and Kant, you know, says, you know, you're right. You're actually right about that. So Fichte moves on and he starts developing things like uh, Averroes' transcendental ego from the Middle Ages, which actually is a big influence on Jung in uh, the last century. But um, yeah, we are, uh, we're about to go to a to a break in just a second. And when we get back, I want to try to see how exactly does this saint respond to these errors? How does a Catholic spirituality, especially since... It is a spirituality of, a, of the Carmelites, a, such an intense spirituality. How do they combat this idea of the Enlightenment? And what can we apply to our current life today? All that and more in just one second. Party! The 
GTRN is raffling off a 2023 Mercedes-Benz CLA 250C. Whoa, Doc, that's heavy. What, are we going to have to, like, go back in time to get tickets? Not at all, Marty. Just call 888-784-3476 or go to grnonline.com. We better hurry, Marty. The drawing takes place February 24th, the year 2023. We really need one of those smartphones, Doc. Paragraph 2223 in the Catechism of the Catholic Church states that parents have the first responsibility for the education of their children. First and foremost, this is in regards to the education in the faith. One really fun way of doing this is to take a Catholic calendar and at the beginning of each month, choose a day to celebrate, either a saint's day or a feast day. For instance, on December 12th, the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, spread a serape across the table, have a Mexican food feast and put on the mariachi music. Place a statue or a picture of Our Lady of Guadalupe in the middle of the table. Tell the kids who she is and why you're celebrating. Do this every month with a different saint or feast day and imagine how much of the faith that you will learn together while you have fun as a Catholic family. This has been a minute for your marriage and family from the Three Hearts Institute. You can find us at threeheartsinstitute.org. We're back, and today we're talking to Ryan Grant with Mediatrix Press. The book is Blessed Mary Celeste Crosta Rosa, Mystic and Foundress, and we were talking about in the last segment about the Enlightenment errors, this skepticism, this scientism, this idea of trust the science, capital S, trademark over the E, that was prevalent in the 18th century. Sounds kind of like today, don't you think? And I'm pretty sure Hume's middle name was actually Fauci, if I remember correctly. Uh, but anyway, the Blessed Mary Celeste, she was a Carmelite nun. And then later she was a foundress of the Redemptor, the Redemptorist Tines, the female Redemptorist, Redemptors, and the, with Alphonse Liguori, a friend of his. So my question for Ryan Grant, thank you for joining us, Ryan, is how does her life, how, did, how on earth can... A life of this little nun devoted to God and devoted to her, his, uh, the spirituality of the Carmelites. How does that combat the errors of the Enlightenment? In the same way that the, you know, the entirety of the Christian faith does, <clears throat> by, you know, by basically the miraculous vision she receives, the emphasis on her Lord as Redeemer is actually another one of the, the major focuses of her visions and the rule which God gave her, which ultimately becomes St. Alphonsus's rule in founding the Redemptorists. And it's like we hearken back to the, the, with the resurrection, um, where you know, the, the, those without faith will deny it where they'll come up with dumb excuses for it. It's like, well, maybe Jesus rose in their hearts, you know, type of thing. And which, unfortunately, I've heard from the pulpit from priests who are still currently, uh, you know, in good standing with their bishop somehow. But um, really, in, in truth, if we don't believe in the resurrection, we've got nothing. We absolutely have nothing. So that not only do miracles happen, but the mystical relationship between, uh, you know, God and the saint. And so it, so that, you know, throughout the course of her life, as she's, she's founding the rule and as she's, you know, moving forward in her spiritual life is meriting, you know, more graces and more, um, you know, you know, and more increase in, in the, you know, the, her supernatural merit, supernatural virtues, and also married in the grace that's helping St. Alphonsus 
in in uh, the, you know, the first Redemptress as they preach against these very same evils in Italy. Wow, that's yeah. I mean, that's that's a great point. And Saint Alphonsus being that great missionary, the the fact that I had no idea that his that he received the rule from this little nun. I thought that he had I come up either, his own. Yeah, I, yeah, until I saw this book, I didn't either, and and uh, I was just going through it, and uh, I just found that it kind of fell out of my chair. It's like I had no idea they were, they, they were so connected. Actually, I, I didn't even know there were redemptorist nuns either. Yeah, until, me neither. <laughs> I, I remember something about it vaguely from reading a life of Alphonsus many years ago, but um, yeah, I actually didn't know until I got into this thing. I said, "Wow, that's amazing." Um, you know how close, but you know it's funny. Like some lives won't bring out certain things depending on what the scope of the author had in mind. So with, uh, you know, the authors might not have done the work to really know what a place she had in the whole thing, like mm-hmm. in some of Alphonsus's work. But uh, it's a similar thing in the, the biography of, Saul Car- of Cardinal Baronius. Um, the, the authoress who wrote it, she, um, you know, a lot of the research had, hadn't really been done outside of Italy in the St. Robert Bellarmine. She had no idea that, that Bellarmine and Baronius were absolutely very close friends, as close as anyone in the the, the oratory, and so it, it, there's many many testimonies, primary you know contemporary documents relating it. But you won't find it in the biography of Baronius because the authoress actually wasn't aware of it. So that, that I think that's a, the uh, the type of thing that happened, unfortunately. Yeah, that, that was really fascinating to me. And I was as I'm skimming through the book, you know, a few things really stood out to me. And one thing in particular that I'm just thinking of was how she meditated upon the phrase, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one cometh to the Father but by me. In the book, it says, she was allowed to see the admirable work of the divine union in an upright soul. She saw how Jesus is the way by his works and virtues as applied to our soul, the truth by the light of faith infused into us, the life by the grace which makes us live for the life of our divine head. That it's, it's so it was so stunning to me seeing these quotes jump out at me, and how this this little nun had this love for our Lord, and, but not just this kind of emotional love that we think of today, but an understanding that our Lord is the way, the truth, and the life. That everything He said is is in fact true, and He does it not out of some sentimentality, but out of movement of His will towards us. And I just thought that was so profound, especially since you see the lives of, of these um, modernist, of these enlightenment uh, peoples. And oftentimes, not all of them, but oftentimes they live a life so that's so I, I, almost sad more than anything else. It's sad. And I think that that really, you can get stuck in your ivory tower. You can get stuck in all these things. But at the end of your life, what do you have? I think that's interesting. What are your thoughts, Ryan Grant? Well, it's ultimately what is every single person, you know, called to. Um, I, I made some uh, mocking jokes about Vatican II before, but one of the things that Vatican II talks about is that every single person is called to holiness. Um, I believe it's in Gaudium et Spes. I might be mistaken which document. I'm pretty sure that's the one, though, um, where it says that all of the Christ faithful are called to the this, this summit of contemplative life. And whether we'll all get there is another question, but by our baptism, that's actually what we should tend to, really. That's really what we should be moving toward. But most of us, we never quite get there. And you can think of various parables of Christ about, 
uh, you're like the the seed being sown and falling in in uh, ground that's not quite suited to it or, or whatever else. Some of which deals with predestination. Some deals with the circumstances and evils of the world. But ultimately, that everyone is called to it. it even in you just won't, you won't have the same level of it if you're like managing a house and managing a family. But uh, if you're in the world, um, although you have uh, Blessed Anna Marie Taigi, who is um, she's she's a wife. She's got a truck driver of a husband who ultimately is a good man because of her. But uh, she's got she's a mystic. She she has this mystical life with Christ as a laywoman, and she has cardinals that you know really important people that want to converse with her because of her holiness. And she literally kicks him out of the house because she's got to make dinner for her husband. I got to have it here. And uh, but this woman was was a mystic, and so it can be done in the world just as much as in a convent like Blessed Mary Celeste. And that's not going to be without its troubles as, as her life shows. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've put up on the screen, if you're watching uh, Blessed Elizabeth Canori Mora, another book published by Mediatrix Press. And I love this book. I read this not too long ago. And yes, and she is another great example of a, someone who lived this, this call to holiness in the world as a, as a married woman, as a mother and as a spouse. And it's very interesting to me. Uh, the other thing that I thought was interesting was this question of scrupulosity. There was a small section, but whenever it was come, it came back to talking about her development of in the spiritual life of how she became more holy and she started advancing. It was said that she uh, hitherto Julia had been the life and the gaiety of the house, gaiety meaning uh, happiness. And her brothers did not at all approve of the change that had come over their little lively sister. They thought it was a case of scruples and tried to laugh her out of it. But Julia, having once been privileged to converse with our Lord, found it almost impossible to spend her time in useless amusements and suffered much in consequence from all their teasing. The thing that stood out to me, was this idea of scruples. I was talking with my friend and the other day I was at a wedding and I was just chatting and I was talking about, you know, clothing and why I, I dress like this every day and it's not, and why I think that other people should try to have a greater decorum and a greater um, sublimity in the way they dress and the way they carry themselves. And they were like, don't you think that it's a little too scrupulous to be, to worry about that kind of thing? And my thought immediately was, I don't think most people are scrupulous. Yes, scrupulosity is a real thing that people suffer from. But I think 99% of the time, people who think they're scrupulous are just waking up to the fact that the moral life exists. And that's really what they're dealing with. Right. Uh, what are your yeah, thoughts about that? I would say that um, everyone knows that line from Father Ripperger that the devil's not under every rock, but he's under every other rock. Scruples are under every thousandth rock in our current day and age, right? <laughs> Actually, I do know one person who suffers from legitimate scruples in the spiritual life, and what the what the old theological masters would call that, right? Scruples. And outside of that, I, I don't think I've ever seen a real case of it myself, because we're, we're so morally lax in every way. Whenever you, yeah, it's like you said, you wake up and you discover there's a moral law. All of a sudden, oh no, I might be offending God by doing things that clearly offend God. Oh, I mean, oh, you're just being scrupulous, says everyone else who doesn't mind continuing to offend God. You know, that's really what it comes down to, is that we're so lax, we've lost, we don't have a compass. And, and thus you see it there, where what Julia's experienced, what is, Blessed Mary Celeste, her name in life was Julia. What she experiences is it, it, the phenomenon, I call it, once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. Mm. So that um, now that, you know, she's she's been given to converse in these mystical experiences of their Lord. Now you come back down, it's like, 
what am I, what, what does any of this matter? None of this really matters. Why, why am I, why am I still here doing this? So she, she's moving out of it and she's moving in accord with that direction in her life. What there is bad or, or, or ridiculous or nothing. Okay. Is she like over the top, uh, you know, maybe whipping herself or something And some states have done flagellation. And I think with a spiritual director, there's nothing wrong with self-flagellation provided you've got a spiritual director you're checking in with. So it doesn't become vanity or something, but um, you know, it is a practice in the tradition and I'm just going to emphasize it more because I know that's going to drive certain people today nuts, <laughs> but, um, but scrupulosity is one of those things where I'm just, uh, you know, when someone says, oh yeah, that's just, it sounds over scrupulous to me. It's like probably not scrupulous enough really when you get down to it, because that's what worldly people will then use the excuse of actual scruples because real scruples are like this. Um, oh, I know I've, uh, you know, I, I just went to confession yesterday and, and, and I received Holy Communion today, but, but I, you know, there was this one time where I, I could have picked something up for someone and I didn't do it. And I wonder if I might've actually sinned and maybe I shouldn't go to communion because I, I picking that up for someone does something I should have done. Right. So someone who, you know, on the road in the spiritual life and they pause and they get confused because the devil's basically trying to sidetrack them from doing good, especially somebody who's, who's living uh, a life. Uh, where they're working on the mystical life, they're on, you know, the, the the stages of mystical growth, as the mystical theologians tell us. And then the devil's trying to sidetrack them. Because somebody like that who receives communion, they're going to merit an awful lot of grace. They're going to do a lot of good things by continuing to do the work they do. And so the devil then tries to distract them. Maybe you sinned? Um, you know, did, did I give fraternal correction when I should have to this person who was doing something that, that wouldn't even come to, you know, uh, to light matter, right? That, that's again, that, is another, that would be another case of scruples. Um, maybe I should stop getting drunk and uh, get break up with my girlfriend and get out of the house. Oh, you so scrupulous. <laughs> that's the equivalent of where we're at. <laughs> no, yeah, that's 100% correct. That's the thing I've noticed. Uh, but yeah, thank you very much, Ryan Graham. Make sure you go to Mediatrix Press. Check out all the books that Ryan has there. I probably own half of them. I own all the ones on, on Dominican Saints, so I highly recommend Mediatrix Press. Go there and make sure you stay on with us because in the next hour, we're going to be playing our game show, Fear and Trembling, and I'm going to share with you some Candlemas traditions in just one moment. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. It was somewhat of an accident, and I have a lot of windshield time driving for work, and usually I'm listening to my gospel music, and so I wanted to find something else different, and so I started scrolling. I found Guadalupe Radio. I started listening to it on a regular basis, and what I realized, had I found this station years ago, my conversion would have probably happened years ago. The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Most of us can recall a childhood memory of innocence and a peace that only comes from God. Yet with our busy schedules today, many families don't attend church weekly or spend much time teaching their children about God. So many families now are burdened by financial and family challenges, substance abuse, and other worries. But there is hope. Studies show that people who pray regularly and practice their Christian faith are less stressed, financially stable, more compassionate, optimistic, healthier, and happier. Experience a positive difference in your life and for your family by coming home to your parish. Learn more by visiting catholicscomehome.org today. Here you may find answers to your questions and discover how Jesus and the sacraments will bless your family. There's no pressure or risk. 
You've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Do it for your kids. Do it for yourself. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. Hi, I'm Debbie Giorgiani. And I'm Adam Bly. We're the hosts of The Spirit World every Saturday morning on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Join us as we help answer your questions on angels, demons, and how the physical and spiritual worlds interact. That's The Spirit World from the Station of the Cross studios every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. In your car, at the office, or in your home, we're always here. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Hi, I'm Father Tom Smithson, pastor of Corpus Christi Parish, and you're listening to AM 1430. KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. And at 15 past the hour, we're going to jump into our game show, Fear and Trembling, where you have a chance to win prizes that we're going to give away tomorrow. Wow, it's already almost the end of the week. Congratulations, you have almost survived it. It's almost there. So make sure you go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT if you want to get uh, ahead of the game and find out what our phone number is. You can call in, wait on hold. You are more than welcome to do so. But, you know, another thing before I forget is the fact that we have some big news coming soon. There is, you know, we've had a... A small period of set of a Conte here at the Catholic Drive Time team. There's a empty seat over there across from me. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> that needs to be filled. And rumor is, I have been told by credible sources, not from the Vatican, credible sources from San Antonio, that we have actually filled the seat. We are no longer set of a Conte. We'll have to announce that. Maybe we'll give a hint during the after show. So if you want to hear about the possibility of filling our seat, of who may be joining us on Monday, make sure you tune into the after show. We might give you a little more teasers. But let's go into Candlemas. How familiar are you with Candlemas? Have you ever heard that term, Candlemas? It's the Feast of the Purification. It's also the Feast of the Presentation of Our Lord. All these things are uh, fall under the category of Candlemas. And I was reading this uh, of what people used to do for Candlemas. I thought it was so beautiful, and I wanted to share it with you. This is uh, this woman by the name of Helen McClovelin. In 1955, she wrote about her family's tradition for Candlemas. And I wanted to share it with you. Uh, because I thought that maybe you could be inspired by this. Maybe it's something you can do with your family tonight, or maybe elements of it. You can take elements of it. Uh, but if you can't, maybe at the very least, try to make it to Mass, get your blessed candles. So let me read this to you. Marking the end of the Christmas season, the Feast of Candlemas includes unique sacramentals and symbols for embracing, embarking upon the days 
of Septuagesimatide, as Catholic mother and author Helen McLaughlin relates. The Feast of the Purification of Our Blessed Mother closes the 40 days of the Christmas season. The day is also the presentation of the child in the temple, or the Feast of Candlemas. On this day, each member of the family should receive his or her own blessed candle to be lighted on birthdays, baptismal anniversaries, First Holy Communion, and in sickness. This is another appropriate occasion to invite friends to a home ceremony. So here, that's a great idea. Go get your blessed candles and give them each your family member one blessed candle that they can light on their birthday, say a special prayer, make it something unique that calls back to this day. Oh, I love that idea. I love that idea so much. You know, one of the uh, one of the uh, things that uh, that we do in our family. Uh, thank you, Pope Francis. Is uh, we celebrate our baptismal anniversary. Now we're lucky enough, not lucky enough. We're 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 blessed enough to have our original baptismal candles. If you still have it, you can always pull that one out, light it on your baptismal anniversary. But if you don't, get a blessed candle from Candlemas and do that, and start celebrating your your day that you entered into the church, the day that you entered into new life. That's actually more important than your birthday. Yeah, absolutely. The, it goes on, the family who with lighted candles goes in spirit to the temple with Our Lady will learn a wonderful lesson of her humility. When Mary went to offer her firstborn son, Joseph carried the offering of the poor, two turtle doves, symbols of purity and fidelity. According to Jewish law, one would be offered as a holocaust and the other for a sin offering. The book of Leviticus reads, the priest shall make atonement for her sin and thus she will be made clean. Actually, Mary, the God-bearer, was not subject to such a rite. No purification was necessary after a virginal giving birth to Christ. Nevertheless, in her humility, she observed the law. As the Holy Family enter the temple, the aged Simeon and Anna, called by the Holy Ghost, wait to see the child. It had been promised to Simeon that he would not die until he had seen the Savior. Mary, the living Ark of the Covenant, guided by that same Spirit, welcomes the saintly old man and puts the salvation of the world into his arms. Now he says, Thou dost dismiss thy servant in peace, O Lord, because mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared to enlighten the Gentiles in the glory of thy people Israel. The blessing of candles which takes place on this feast is one of the three principal popular blessings conferred by the church. Ashes and palms are the other two. The father of a family begins the home ceremony by gathering the family in candlelight around the crib for a last time. So you go to your 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 nativity scene because you still have it out because it's still the Christmas season, right? You have your go to your nativity scene, and the father of the family they all light their candles that they just got from Candlemas, and the father of the house says, "Lord Jesus Christ, the true light that enlightens every man who comes into the world, pour forth thy blessing upon these candles, sanctify them by the light of thy grace." And mercifully grant that as candles by their visible light scatter the darkness of night, so too our hearts, burning with invisible fire, may be freed from all blindness of sin. With the eyes of our soul purified by thy light, may we discern those things that are pleasing to thee and helpful to us, so that having finished the darksome journey of this life, we may come to never-fading joys through thee, O Jesus Christ, Savior of the world in perfect trinity, Thou livest and reignest God forever. And then everyone responds, Alleluia. The Christmas evening prayers follow the blessing. 
and I recommend saying the Nuktamitis, the the prayer of Simeon. Now they thou dismiss thy servant, thy servant go in peace. That prayer. Prayers in our house are said at the crib during Christmas. It might be well for parents to meditate on the words of Abbot Marmion. When we would penetrate into the sanctuaries of God's secret, he says to us, This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. This is the, this is the solution of all. Jesus stretching out his little arms to us in the crib is God. As we gaze on Jesus, we have no difficulty in understanding that God is love. With the family and friends, we usually have a candlelight procession from the dining room through the halls to the living room. There, a Simeon of ten is borrowed in a borrowed white Jewish prayer cap, awaits Mary with her doll wrapped in swaddling clothes to symbolize baby Jesus, and a young Joseph carrying a cage with two pigeons made from molding clay and candlelight. Simeon takes the child and prays his canticle. Then he blesses Joseph and Mary and adds, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rise of many in Israel, and a sign that she shall be contradicted. In thy own soul a sword shall, a, a sword shall pierce, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Then the antiphon, it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Christ of the Lord is sung or said in unison. A family could easily make its own prayer to the Queen of Heaven, asking that the grace of the 40 days remain with them for the whole year. And there is a prayer by Abbot Garanger, which we like for Candlemas. O Blessed Mother, the sword is already in your heart. You foreknow the future of the fruit of your womb. May our fidelity in following him through the coming mysteries of his public life bring some alleviations to the sorrows of your maternal heart. End quote. That's the uh, re- recording of how she celebrated Candlemas as her family. And what a beautiful tradition and what a way to get your family together. It's also funny because they're talking about how large their family is. And there's a, there's a Simeon of 10 waiting. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah, big Catholic families. But yeah, that, this is a great idea. Uh, do a procession around your house. Maybe have a special meal tonight. So here, here's my suggestion to you. Here's my suggestion to you. Go to Candlemas tonight. Get some candles. Get, a, get several candles. If you have to, go to the local Catholic bookstore and buy some, blessed, uh, buy some wax candles, some beeswax, beeswax candles, and get those and take them to your priest. Have them do the blessing for the Feast of Candlemas. Many churches are having evening masses tonight. If you're not, if you can find a traditional Latin mass parish, I guarantee they're having evening masses for today. Uh, but I think most parishes are also having it uh, in general. Then get those blessed. Go with your family and do this idea. The priest, got the, the father of the house, who is the priest of the home, say this prayer. And if you want, email me. Find, and, I will t- and I will type this prayer up and I will send it to you or take a picture of it and send it to you. You can find my email at grnonline.com forward slash cdt. And then you can process around the home and you have the family all involved, like a little skit. And you act out. Uh, Luke chapter 2. I think this is a beautiful tradition. I agree. What do you think, Rudy? I absolutely agree, you know, and uh, one, one of the things that um, we hear about uh, during Sherathon, uh, including the, the very generous support from all of our listeners, is the fact that uh, a, a lot of children are falling, falling away from the church. And I, I think that it happens to coincide with the fact that, you know, we're just a little too busy these days. 
and we we allow ourselves just the opportunity on Sunday to actually pray, to be in the presence of God, and the home life it suffers because we we're trying to we're trying to put food on the table, we're trying to you know prioritize all of these different things. But unfortunately, our, our focus has been lost on the liturgical home. The home should be a sort of a monastery for you. The head of the home should be the father. The, the mother should be the, the person that kind of gathers everybody together. And uh, when you introduce some of these liturgical living practices, like very simple things, getting together as a family and, and um, participating in, in a, a skit like this, this kind of uh, of opportunity it gets ingrained in your children's mind particularly the young children because they're going to be learning about their faith they're going to be actually maybe understanding a little bit about what these feast days actually mean and so it's really important for us to just make a little bit of time make uh, i don't know this is going to take maybe i don't know 20 minutes or so 20 minutes or so of your day and it's going to have an everlasting impact on your life and the life of your children. Now, I just wanted to say very quickly, uh, go go to Candlemas, yes, and if you don't have beeswax candles, you have to get uh, candles that are at least 51% beeswax. Uh, that has to do with the rubrics. So uh, wax candles that are made out of soy or things like that, I don't think those can be blessed during Candlemas, but only the beeswax ones can, and you know, most, most Catholic bookstores will have that anyway. Yes, for sure, yeah, because usually they're selling them for the liturgy, and that's what's required for yeah. the liturgy. So the last thing I want to say about this, and then we'll have to go to play our game or get to go play our game, Fear and Trembling, but I would love to talk about Calamus for just hours. But the, <laughs> yeah. the, the last thing I want to say is today we should also think about Our Lady of Sorrows because we're also reading and we're also meditating upon the fact that Simeon prophesied that a sword shall pierce the heart of Our Lady because Our Lady is so united with our Lord that she had co-passion with him. That's where we get the word compassion. She co-passioned with him. And her birth pains that she did not experience during the, during the physical birth of our Lord, because she did not have birth pains, she experienced at the foot of the cross where her heart was torn asunder. And it said that if she could have, she would have crawled into the tomb and died with him there. And our lady, who we love above all, creation on earth all of all the creatures of god our lady is the greatest let's pray and comfort her and her wounded heart and let's implore her to help us because today is also the feast of our lady of good success and what is that success the good success of the purification the good success of her pregnancy the good success of the birth all these things the good success the presentation of her son. That's the good success we're talking about. That's the good event we're talking about. Let's meditate upon that. And if you don't know Our Lady of Good Success, well, I'll have to uh, talk about that in the after show. There's so much there, so much there that we can talk about. But uh, that's going to have to do it for talking about Candlemas. If you want, you can join us in the game show. The number to call is 877-757-9424. Your chance to win is looking really good, actually. So if you want to join us, you can call in 877-757-9424. Prizes are, in fact, involved. You just have to call 877-757-9424. And you can hop on the line right now, 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. We'll see you right back.
Hi, I'm Debbie Giorgiani. And I'm Adam Bly. We're the hosts of The Spirit World every Saturday morning on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Join us as we help answer your questions on angels, demons, and how the physical and spiritual worlds interact. That's The Spirit World from the Station of the Cross Studios every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Central, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. What does it take to constitute an actual church? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a gathering of Christians is not automatically a church. Although Matthew 18 says, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am in their midst, that is not a text to be interpreted as a premise for a church. That's a requirement to legitimize an accusation. Secondly, Catholic teaching. Christ established and sustains the church as both a mystical community and a visible organization with hierarchy and jurisdiction. And thirdly, my take. Eventually, you have to decide what one item is absolutely essential for our Lord to say, that's my church. So is it a church if there's simply a common belief in the Bible? Or perhaps just a doctrinal agreement? Is it compliance to the Apostles' Creed? Could it be the stamp of approval from a denomination? Maybe an ordained pastor makes it officially a church. So, you know that place you've been attending every Sunday morning at 10 a.m.? Maybe it's not even a church. Maybe it's just a good, healthy hangout. Ooh. Holy raffle, Batman! The GRN is raffling off a Mercedes-Benz CLA 250C. If we win, that could be our new Batmobile. Great idea, Robin. Uh, How do we get tickets? Easy, Batman. Just go to grnonline.com or call 888-784-3476. Tickets are $25 for one or $100 for five. I knew you were good for something. Quick, hand me my bat phone. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. (laughs) The Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And your host, Adrian Fonseca. Welcome to Fear and Trembling, where we are trying to be tricky. Or maybe we're not trying to be tricky. Am I being tricky right now? That's the question. And we have prizes to give away as well. And whenever we play the game, the game is really simple. It's really easy. Anybody can do it. It's very simple. All I do is I ask Rudy three questions. And he's going to give me answers. And it is your job to discern is Rudy trying to trick me? Is he telling me hmm. the truth? Three questions like St. Peter? Three questions. Rudy Carlos, son of Sandra, do, do you, you love, love me? me? <laughs> um, Feed my sheep. Yeah, of course. <laughs> right. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> but that's the game. It's very simple. It's a 50-50 chance of you getting it right. And every single question, and every single question gets you an entry into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Rudy, what could they win? Praise be to God. Our sponsor this week is Divinia Water. Divinia Water is the most distinguished bottled water in the market, free from microplastics, heavy metals, pharmaceuticals, and hundreds of other contaminants. Do you know what's in your water, dear listener? Divinia is the only truly purified water brand to be bottled in glass for quality. Everybody else who bottles in glass, well, that's just for show. They actually bottle in glass for quality. Bottled in pristine Idaho on a bottling line, blessed by a Catholic priest, Divinia 
is run by a Catholic family dedicated to preserving God's natural surroundings while also giving you the best in clean functional hydration. Now, if you're wanting to uh, try them out, make sure to check out DaviniaWater.com. They have all kinds of convenient subscription options. You could buy them by the case, et cetera, et cetera. The uh, winner this week is going to be winning one of their 12 packs of their water. So whoever wins this week, let us know. How is Divinia Water? But in any case, thank you very much, Divinia Water. DaviniaWater.com is their website. Go and check them out. Wow, that's really cool. And, you know, I always used to see those pictures of the, uh, you know, the milk bottles when they would come oh, in. Oh, yeah. And you'd see the glass, the milkman coming in with the glasses of milk. And I was like, that's always, that's so cool. Yeah. I, I, I would love that. And now they're doing that with water. I think water. it tastes that's better cool. with, with uh, especially milk. You know, milk tastes better out of glass. Everything tastes better out of glass. Same thing whenever I drink True. beer. I can't drink out of the can. It's got to be from a <laughs> bottle because it just tastes better. Everything tastes better in the glass. Same thing, wine. Got to be in a glass. You pour it in a plastic <laughs> cup. What are you doing? So, true, true. But without further ado, we have Matt joining us from the D.C. area. Good morning to you, Matt. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Where are you calling from in the D.C. area? Yeah, sitting on in traffic right now, trying to get to work. Sitting in Woof. traffic. That's uh, pretty common for people in D.C., right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, thanks Absolutely. for spending some time with us while you're in traffic. Yeah, we're happy to have you. And let me ask you a question. Is it as cold in D.C. right now as it is in Texas? Because it is freezing in Texas right now. <laughs> and I, and it's In some parts of Texas, it's literally freezing. We have some friends who are, are, are frozen in their homes right now, and been, they've been without power for a couple of days. We're not used to that cold, this cold weather that, that y'all get up north. But what's it like over there? So I'm not from the north. I'm right below the Mason-Dixon line here, you know. Everything's um, north for Texas. But, yeah, it's 30, <laughs> 37. 37 degrees right now. Ooh. 37. It's 37 here. Nice. Well, I guess we're suffering the what same we, temperature. This is not This is not supposed to happen. D.C. is supposed to be significantly colder than Texas. True. It needs to be true. warmer here. Well, thank you very much, uh, Matt. The, the, definitely, I think, um, I think D.C., it, it may not objectively be the north, but everything north of of uh, Dallas is the north for for me. I just uh, everything just seems like that. Same same thing. Oklahoma, that's the north. But anyway, Matt, do you know understand how the game works? Uh, yes, I do. Awesome, awesome. It's very simple. I'm going to ask Rudy some questions, and you're going to tell me if you think Rudy is right or he's wrong. If he's lying to you, if he's telling the truth. It's very simple. You'll be able to get it uh, very easily. There's a 50-50 chance of you getting each answer correct. Are you ready to play the game? I am. Awesome, awesome. Rudy, are you ready to play the game? I am ready. Let's awesome. do this. Well, let's do it. The first question. In 1954, Pope Pius Twelfth beatified and canonized the great Pope of the Eucharist. Who was this great Pope of the Eucharist? 1954 was a great year. I remember it fondly. <laughs> I was uh, ethereal. Right, And right. Uh, I remember watching this, actually, on the uh, the cloud. And uh, it was actually Pope Pius X who uh, would become my patron later on, many, oh, many years later. Interesting. Yeah. Pope Pius X. Yeah, huh. Pope Pius X. His predecessor by, by two people. 
That, that, yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. That's correct. That, that's interesting. Interesting theory. I wonder, wonder why he was, might be considered that. Uh, let's let's go to you, Matt. Matt, let me know. The question was, in 1954, Pope Pius XII beatified and canonized the great Pope of the Eucharist. Who was this great Pope of the Eucharist? Rudy says it's Pius X. Is he right? Is he wrong? What say you, Matt? Is he lying? Is he telling you the truth? Let's get your input. I'm going to have to say he's telling the truth. He's telling mm, the truth. Okay, Rudy. Well, there you go. That's right. Nailed it. Can't fool Matt. Way to go, Matt. How did you know? He was there, too. Uh, total guess. Total guess. Total guess. <laughs> yes, Pope Pius X is known as the great Pope of the Eucharist. Why? Because he lowered the age to a reception of the Eucharist and promoted frequent communion. Before mm. that, it was not as common to receive daily communion and for children to receive communion. So that's why he's called the great Pope of the Eucharist. Pray for us, Pope Pray Pius for us. Pray for the us. 10th. Amen. All right, let's go to the second question. The second question is, what is the instrument used by the priest to sprinkle holy water? Ah, okay. The instrument used by the priest to sprinkle holy water uh, you remember uh, a while back we talked about the fullabellum, which is the fan. It's a pontifical fan made right, out of feathers. Right. Well, it's sort of similar to it. It's okay. actually called the aquabellum. Aquabellum, like, like Aquaman. Aqu exactly. Like uh, so, Aquaman. Aqua water bellum. Oh, bellum. oh, I see. This is a theme. You're talking uh, about yeah, Divinia exactly. water. Uh, yeah, exactly. Okay, so you get your Divinia water and, and you, you get sprinkle your it. Aquabellum, and you use that to sprinkle. Yep, exactly. Okay, okay. All right, Matt, here's the question. The question is, what is the instrument used by the priest to sprinkle holy water? Rudy Carlos over here seems to think that the answer is aquabellum. Let's say you, what say you, Matt? Is he telling you the truth? Is he lying to you? Is he right? Is he wrong? Is the answer aquabellum? Matt, what say you? He is wrong. He is wrong. Rudy? <laughs> Nailed it. I can't fool him. Man, how did you, how did Matt, you know? Matt, do you know what it actually is called? Yeah, Asperger, right? Yeah, the Aspergellium. The Aspergellium. So, yeah, the Aspergellium. Kind of tried to trick you there. Aspergellium is the correct answer. That is the little instrument that the priest uses to sprinkle the congregation with holy water or used to sprinkle objects when he's blessing them. Yep, for sure. It's really cool looking. Uh, I've seen a, I have a, I know a priest who actually, I guess a lot of priests probably have this, but I, I just saw it from this one particular priest who had a tiny little bitty aspergillium and he had a little bitty aspergium, which is the, the bucket. He had the bucket in the head, and he had a little bitty aspergillium that he had as like a portable. So whenever he traveled, nice. and I was like, that's hilarious. And it's like the size of his hand, the, the aspergillium. Now, I've it's been so in funny. a mass before where the priest is sprinkling and his aspergillium just falls oh. apart and it like scatters oh, over, almost, no. almost hit a guy in the head. So uh, I've seen that happen. So make sure okay. to get a quality aspergillium. Yeah, and if you have an old one. Maybe get a new one. Okay, Matt, are you ready for the last question? I'm ready. All right, let's do it. In what century did Our Lady of Guadalupe appear? Hmm, what century? Okay, uh, yeah, talk about uh, another great time to be alive. That was the 15th century. I was there, and uh, I witnessed it with my own two eyes. 
That happened to be the 15th century. The 15th century was oh, when Our Lady appeared. All right. Well, Matt, Rudy seems to think that Our Lady of Guadalupe appeared in the 15th century. So the question is, what century did Our Lady of Guadalupe appear? Rudy says 15th century. Matt, is that correct? Is that wrong? Is Rudy telling you the truth? Is Rudy lying to you? Did Our Lady of Guadalupe appear in the 15th century? What say you, Matt? I think he's trying to trick me. I think it's the 16th century. Okay, mm. 16th century. Rudy, is that well, right? It is. That is correct. Do you know the exact date of the uh, of the appearance? Is it just extra credit? I want to say, is it like, I know it's five. We just had the 500th anniversary, right? So, or is it coming up? It, it passed. No, I don't know the it exact passed. Date. Passed, right. So, 1520? Close. You're really close. It's very 1517 close. was the apparition of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Uh, we love Our Lady of Guadalupe here at the Guadalupe Radio Network, obviously. Pray for us. And pray for us. Amen. All right. Well, way to go, Matt. You got in the coffee cup at Divine Providence three times. So, obviously, you know your faith pretty darn well, as, as what I can tell. Um, what, is, what are you off to for the rest of the day? You have work. Are you heading to Candlemas afterwards? I'm heading to work. And after work, I know you're going to be uh, getting your blessed candles, and you're going to uh, go with your family and and do the whole the whole shebang. Maybe, maybe. Yes, nope, and hope to get my throat blessed tomorrow, right? Oh yeah, that's right. You get the throat blessings. I already I forgot about that. Thank you for reminding me. I'm going to talk about that tomorrow. Thank you for reminding me of that. All right, thank you very much, Matt, for joining us. I'm going to put you on hold. Don't go anywhere because we're going to get your information uh, when we uh, Rudy's going to come over and, and talk to you and get your information. But without further ado, that's going to conclude our show for the day. So God bless you. God love you. Don't forget to join us tomorrow. Same time, same place, same bat channel, same bat place. If you can join us, join us in the after show where we'll talk more about these topics Maybe we'll talk about Candlemas. Maybe we'll talk about Our Lady of Good Success. And a big announcement. Oh, make yeah. sure to tune in. And a big announcement. So make sure you tune in. Go find our stuff at grnonline.com forward slash CDT. You can find all the links to our social media feeds there. We'll see you tomorrow. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's Facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. The Feast of the Presentation of the Lord. This morning's Mass will begin with the blessing of candles. Behold, our Lord will come with power to enlighten the eyes of his servants. Hallelujah. Dear brethren, 40 days have passed 
since we celebrated the joyful feast of the Nativity of the Lord. Today is the blessed day when Jesus was presented in the temple by Mary and Joseph. Outwardly, he was fulfilling the law, but in reality, he was coming to meet his believing people. Prompted by the Holy Spirit, Simeon and Anna came to the temple. Enlightened by the same Spirit, they recognized the Lord and confessed him with exaltation. So let us also, gather together by the Holy Spirit, proceed to the house of God to encounter Christ. There we shall find him and recognize him in the breaking of the bread until he comes again revealed in glory. Let us pray. O God, source and origin of all light, who on this day showed to the just man Simeon the light for revelation to the Gentiles, we humbly ask that in answer to your people's prayers, you may be pleased to sanctify with your blessing these candles, which we are eager to carry in praise of your name, so that treading the path of virtue we may reach that light which never fails, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us go forth in peace. In the name of Christ, amen. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Glory to God in the highest and, and on earth peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you, we give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, heavenly King, O God, almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, only begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father, have mercy on us, for you alone are the Holy One, you alone are the Lord, you alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father, Amen, Amen. Let us pray. Almighty ever-living God, we humbly implore your majesty that just as your only begotten Son was presented on this day in the temple, in the substance of our flesh, so by your grace we may be presented to you with minds made pure. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. 
reading from the book of the prophet Malachi. Thus says the Lord God, Lo, I am sending my messenger to prepare the way before me, and suddenly there will come to the temple the Lord whom you seek, and the messenger of the covenant whom you desire. Yes, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who will endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like the refiner's fire, or the fuller's lie. He will sit refining and purifying silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi, refining them like gold or like silver, that they may offer due sacrifice to the Lord. Then the sacrifice of Judah and Jerusalem will please the Lord, as in the days of old, as in years gone by. The word of the Lord. Who is this King of glory? It is the Lord. Who is this King of glory? It is the Lord. Lift up, O gates, your lintels. Reach up your ancient portals, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? It is the Lord. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Who is this King of glory? It is the Lord. Lift up, O gates, your lintels. Reach up, you ancient portals, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? It is the Lord. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Who is this King of glory? It is the Lord. A reading from the letter to the Hebrews. Since the children share in blood and flesh, Jesus likewise shared in them, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who through fear of death had been subject to slavery all their life. Surely he did not help angels, but rather the descendants of Abraham. Therefore he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every way, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest before God to expiate the sins of the people. Because he himself was tested through what he suffered, he is able to help those who are being tested. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. Alleluia. Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. When the days were completed for their purification according to the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph took Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, just as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male that opens the womb shall be consecrated to the Lord and to offer the sacrifice of a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons in accordance with the dictate in the law of the Lord. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, awaiting the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had seen the Christ of the Lord. He came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform the custom of the law in regard to him, 
He took him into his arms and blessed God, saying, Now, Master, you may let your servant go in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. The child's father and mother were amazed at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be contradicted. And you yourself a sword will pierce, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. There was also a prophetess Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived seven years with her husband after marriage, and then as a widow until she was eighty-four. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day with fasting and prayer. And coming forward at that very time, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child, to all who were awaiting the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had fulfilled all the prescriptions of the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The Gospel of the Lord. This morning's liturgy on the Feast of the Presentation begins with the blessing of candles and a reminder of the significance of light in sacred scripture. And light, of course, being a moment of revelation, when our eyes are open to be able to see something. In this case, with the presentation of the Lord, what we're seeing is really two ancient ritual acts for the people of Israel, which are being transformed and fulfilled in the presence of Mary with the child Jesus 40 days after his birth. The first ritual which was to take place was really pertaining to the purification of the mother. The mother was to go with the husband and offer either a lamb and a turtle dove, or if they were poor, they were called to offer two turtle doves or even two pigeons. In the case of Mary and Joseph, they make the offering of the poor with the two turtle doves. And of course, in terms of this feast being a sign of the fulfillment and transformation, it's worth noting Mary herself had already been made pure. In her immaculate conception, she was already filled with grace from the very first moment of her existence, and therefore there was technically no need for her purification because she had already been purified in God's grace at her immaculate conception. Going to the temple was a sign of entering into the presence of God, and Mary's presence there, having already been transformed in God's grace, is a sign that in the new covenant through Jesus Christ, God is going to dwell within the human heart in the mystery of his grace, that we are called to become living temples, and therefore we are called to be pure in the manner of our life, having been sanctified by God's grace. Secondly, of course, the other aspect of the presentation is the offering of the firstborn son. For the Israelites, the offering of the firstborn son was a reminder of God passing over Israel at the moment of their slavery in Egypt and of death passing over the Israelites. And so here in the presentation of Jesus, what we are seeing is really a prefiguring and not merely a remembrance. Because Jesus is the one true son of the Father who is going to be offered on our behalf in order to save us from our sins. He becomes the atoning sacrifice and the one who is going to be the redeemer of mankind. 
My brothers and sisters, for us as we go forward in this sacred Mass, we are called to remember that Jesus Christ is offered on this altar at every Mass. And we, as Mary was, are called to approach him as pure vessels, having received God's grace, having cooperated with his grace, and that in receiving the Lord, we recognize that we leave the church as living temples, that God's presence dwells within us, that we are called to be lights and signs to his presence in the world, and that our hearts are called to be filled with thanksgiving because today we remember in a special way that Jesus Christ is the one true Son who was offered on our behalf as a sacred offering to the Father in order to redeem us for our sins. Let us go forth now in this sacred liturgy, striving to live in holiness and purity of heart. Amen. Trusting in our Father's love and mercy, let us bring our petitions before him. We pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, and for all bishops, for their physical and spiritual needs, we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. We pray for government leaders that they would be inspired by the Holy Spirit to enact just laws that would protect and safeguard the dignity of human life from the first moment of conception, and laws that would never transgress the natural law of God, we pray to the Lord. For the sick and the suffering, that they would be given consolation in their faith and the courage and perseverance to unite their sufferings with Christ on the cross, we pray to the Lord. Lord for our family, friends, benefactors, for those who have asked for our prayers, for those joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio Media, and for all those enrolled in the Salt Mass Association, we pray to the Lord. And we pray for the grace that we would always strive to live as pure temples of the Lord. We pray to the Lord. Lord and for those intentions that we hold in our heart. We pray to the Lord. Lord Merciful Father, we thank you for hearing our petitions and granting our prayers through Christ our Lord. Lord, bid your servant go in peace. Your word is now fulfilled. These eyes have seen salvation's dawn, this child so long foretold. This is the Savior of the world, the Gentiles' promised light. God's glory dwelling in our midst, the joy of Israel. This child shall see the rise, the fall of those in Israel. God's sign raised high for all to see, whom some shall yet deny. His mother's soul a sword shall pierce Of sorrow keen and deep And secret thoughts of many hearts Through him shall be revealed Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours May be acceptable to God the Almighty Father. May the offering made with exaltation by your church be pleasing to you, O Lord, we pray. 
For you will that your only begotten Son be offered to you for the life of the world as the Lamb without blemish, who lives and reigns forever and ever. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation. Always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, for your co-eternal Son was presented on this day in the temple and revealed by the Spirit as the glory of Israel and light of the nations. And so we too go forth rejoicing to encounter your salvation. And with the angels and saints praise you as without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaho, Plenisun celi et terra, gloria tua, Hosanna in excelsis, benedictus, qui venit in nomine domini, Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts we pray by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and, giving thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world, and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis our Pope, and Michael our Bishop, and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection, and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with blessed Joseph, her spouse, 
with the blessed apostles and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. Precepti salutaribis moniti, et divina institutione formati, audemus indicere, pater noster, qui es in celis, sanctifice tuur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicud in celo et in terra, panem nostrum coditianum, da nobis hodie, et imite nobis debita nostra, sicud et nos dimitimus, debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil, and graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, Miserere nobis, Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. For those who are unable to receive our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament at this time, we invite you to pray the act of spiritual communion with us. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. 
Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Jesus, my Lord, my God, my all, how can I love Thee as I ought? And how revere this wondrous gift, so far surpassing hope or thought. Sweet adore, O make us love Thee more and more, O make us love Thee more and more. Had I but merry sinless heart, with which to love the dearest King. Oh, with what bursts of fervent praise, Thy goodness, Jesus, would I sing. Sweet sacrament we Thee adore, Oh, make us love Thee more and more. Oh, make us love Thee more and more. Let us pray. <clears throat> By these holy gifts which we have received, O Lord, bring your grace to perfection within us. And as you fulfilled Simeon's expectation that he would not see death until he had been privileged to welcome the Christ, so may we, going forth to meet the Lord, obtain the gift of eternal life through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Alma, Redemptoris Mater, Que pervi aceli portamanes, Et stella maris, Sucure cadenti, Surgere qui curat populo, Tuque genuisti, Natura mirante, Tum sanctum genitorem, Virgo prius ac posterius, Gabrieli sabore, Sumens iludave, Peccatorum miserere.
prayer of deliverance, Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one, from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Celebrating 2,000 years of truth, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Father Jim Murphy from St. Thomas High School. 